chapter 18, I'll just open us in some prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for your word, uh, which guides us, teaches us. Lord, your word rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us, it encourages us, Lord. Um, So we just uh, offer this service up to you, Lord. Uh, Give me the words you want me to speak. Get rid of the words you don't want me to speak, Lord. Um, We just seek uh, seek to build you up and give you all the credit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Samuel 18. So uh, 1 Samuel 18 here, as we continue on in our study through the book of 1 Samuel, we're getting into chapter 18. And chapter 18 here is really when we start to see a shift from, from Saul to David here. We already know from previous chapters that Samuel came to David. If you remember, Samuel came to David. He, he anointed David as the Lord's next chosen king. He poured a horn of oil over him. And then it gets to chapter 18 here, and we start to see a a shift. The shift finally kind of starts to happen from from Saul to David, and you kind of start to see rumblings of a shift going on. And then in the next three and four chapters, we're going to see in the coming weeks, uh, there's just some serious tension between Saul and David as the kingship starts to transfer over uh, to David, much to Saul's dismay. So Saul, we know, is the symbol of the flesh for us, like Matt's been talking the past little while as we've looked at Saul. Saul is a symbol of the flesh for us. And Saul is just the kind of guy who, in the Bible, you, you read about him and you think about him and you just kind of feel bad for him. He just seems like he's been set up for failure. He just can't ever seem to make the right decision. You know, he's made king for a group of Israelite people that are going against the Lord's wishes. He thinks he's doing the right thing, but time and time again, he makes mistakes. He makes excuses. He's trying to navigate this kingship that's totally new to him. And and every time he has a chance to give glory to God, he just doesn't. He makes the wrong choice. And so Saul is the perfect picture, like we've been seeing. He's the perfect picture of the flesh for us as we go through his story. But what exactly does that mean to be living in the flesh? Well, here's a definition for you. Living in the flesh is any action or achievement without dependence on the Holy Spirit and without glorifying Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. Living in the flesh is any action or achievement without dependence on the Holy Spirit and without glorifying Jesus Christ. So as we go through chapter 18 today, uh, we're actually going to see five characteristics and actions of what living in the flesh looks like. Mostly demonstrated by Saul, but not all of them. We're going to see five characteristics and actions of what living in the flesh looks like. Now, just before we get into chapter 18, um, I just want to remind you guys of where we've been, what's going on as we go into chapter 18. We're going to take a a half step back into chapter 17, the last couple verses of chapter 17, and it's just going to set us up for what's going on here at the beginning of 18. So look at 1 Samuel 17, uh, 57 to 58. If you don't have a Bible, there's somewhere around the edges of the room. It will come up on the screen, but you definitely need a Bible in your hands this morning. First Samuel 17, 57 to 58. It says, As soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So we have this scene set up for us. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath. Everyone knows David and Goliath. I don't need to 
talk about that, but the mighty battle of David and Goliath, and this is where we left off. Saul brings David into the tent, and he says, what happened down there? You know, they just had an awesome victory, and, and Saul just wants to know what happened down there. So David walks in. He's got Goliath's head in his, you know, Goliath's, Goliath's head is hanging, holding on to his hair as David walks in. Pretty gruesome, actually, picture, but He's holding Goliath's head in his hand as he walks into the tent. And Saul says, whose son are you, boy? And David responds, I'm son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. But I think there's a bit more of conversation going on here, right? Like there's just an awesome victory down there. It wasn't just, uh, oh, I'm the son of Jesse. See ya. Have a nice day. It was, there's probably a bit more of a conversation. There was getting a rundown of what exactly happened down there. Saul asking a lot of questions. Maybe David even recites what he said to Goliath. He said, yeah. David says, yeah, the big guy down there, he said something about giving my flesh to the birds of the air. But do you know what I said back to Goliath? I said this. I said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel, he says. And then you know what else I said? And I said, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You know, you can just imagine David reciting all this and being pretty stoked that he just whipped a rock into the Goliath's head. And, and you know, probably in this meeting, there's probably Abner was there, who Abner was the commander of, of the Israel army. Um, Saul's there, obviously. Probably Jonathan's in there. Jonathan, who's the crown prince, the, the firstborn son of Saul, He's probably in the meeting, and, and you know, they're hearing everything that David's saying. And what a great victory the Lord accomplished through David. And so that brings us to chapter 18. You know, in, in our modern Bible, we have chapter breaks, and so it can be, you can think that, oh, this is a long time after. But this is, look at what it says in chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. But look at what, what Saul did. It says, Saul took him and would not let him return to his father's house. That's the first characteristic of the flesh we see here. The flesh takes. You know, Saul saw what David had done and took him. Saul was in the meeting with David and heard all the great things he'd done, and, and Saul saw victory, and he took David. You know, this isn't a new thing for Saul either. If you remember back in uh, chapter 14, when Saul, he was freshly king, and it says, Saul saw any strong or any valiant man, and he attached him to himself. See, the flesh takes what it wants. The flesh sees accomplishments. It sees victory, and it says, I want that. I'm going to take that. Because the flesh starts to get desperate. When you don't align yourself with Jesus, the flesh starts to take over and it begins to take action. I'm going to make things happen, the flesh says. The flesh sees success comes through what it can manufacture and what it can take. The flesh says, I'm going to begin taking anything I can to prop myself up for victory. And so that whole meeting of Saul and David in the tent, you know, David's recounting his victory over Goliath. Saul saw one thing in David. Saul saw power in a man, and Saul took him. And during this whole meeting in that tent, as David's recounting his victory over Goliath, Jonathan saw one thing in David. 
Jonathan saw power in the living God of Israel. And the reaction of Jonathan is much, much different from the reaction of Saul. Let's look again, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Saul, the fleshly man, takes, whereas Jonathan, the faith-filled man, gives. You know, Jonathan, we've seen in the past couple few chapters here, we've seen that Jonathan is a man filled with faith in the living God. And he hears the passion, he hears the excitement that David has, the faith that David has in the living God of Israel, and Jonathan loves him. And But more than that, he shows his love in forming a covenant with David. He takes off his robe and he gives it to David. You know, these aren't just your average old best Western robes that you put on and you go to a hotel. These are the crown prince robes. These mean something. These are high quality robes, the best of the best. And then Jonathan gives David his armor and his sword and his bow, which is a big deal. If you remember, there's only two guys in the army that have real weapons. <laughs> it's Saul and it's Jonathan. And Jonathan gives his weaponry to David. The flesh takes, but the spirit gives. I'm not going to go too much more into the friendship of uh, Jonathan and David because we actually have an awesome sermon uh, on our website that you can go look at, our brand new website if you didn't know, ctkgibsons.com. We've got a new website. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. We've got a little sermon player. And you can search on that sermon player. It's, the title is called A Friend in Me. Um, and we've got a whole message on there from Matt, um, actually about the relationship of Jonathan and David. And so I'm not going to dive too much into it because it's a good long 55-minute message from our faithless leader. But I'd be remiss not to touch at least a little bit on three things. Three things I see here, three core things I see here of Jonathan and David's friendship. You know, count it as a gift from God to have a relationship with someone else half as strong as what we see here between David and Jonathan. And there seems to be three things that we see here in chapter 18, um, and we'll see again in the coming chapters, that really are crucial to the relationship between David and Jonathan. So let's look at them. The first thing is a common bond. These two share a common connection that is unique in the Christian faith, the trust and hope in the God of Israel being brothers in Christ. You know what I mean. You experience it all. I'm sure you do. Even this morning we experienced it. I actually specifically was thinking about uh, last week as we uh, were sitting down and sharing a meal together as I was looking around at all the, just what an odd group of people you all are. <laughs> different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different ages, different history, yet we all share a common bond and that is our faith in the risen Son, Jesus Christ. The second thing I... I'm just laughing because earlier, earlier as we're setting up this morning, I was told two things. Come up here and stand normally, whatever that means. And then the second thing I said was told was that you have a very sharp voice, and you've got to do a lot of EQ on your voice to keep things under control. So I'm right there with you. I'm an odd guy too, I guess. 
So the second thing I see that makes Jonathan and David have a strong friendship is their mutual affection. The first is their common bond, Jesus Christ. The second is their strong mutual affection. These two get each other. Like we see in verse one, their souls were knit together. These were two men with common interests. They took risks. They were brave. They were humble. This wasn't just like a one-sided friendship like Saul had with David where Saul took David. Jonathan made a covenant with David. He said, you and me, buddy, we're in this together. There was a mutual respect and friendship between the two that would have them do anything for each other. Which brings us to the third point. The third important thing in David and Jonathan's friendship is their willingness to sacrifice. What's the next thing that Jonathan does after he forms a covenant with David? He takes off his robes, his armor, one of the only two swords in the Israeli army, and he gives it to David. And we'll see later. Just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the coming chapters next week and the weeks on the importance of sacrifice between David and Jonathan's friendship. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So the first thing the flesh does is the flesh takes. The second thing the flesh does the flesh gives credit to man. I think we're going to have a little graph. There we go. Oh, spoiler alert. Don't look at that third one. The second thing the flesh does is the flesh get. Oh, there we go. We got our man at the back is on it. The second thing the flesh does is the flesh gives credit to man. Look at uh, verse 16, uh, chapter 18, verse 6 to 7. Look at me. I don't even have my Bible open. What a terrible, terrible. First Samuel chapter 18. Verse 6 to 7, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Verse 7, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So the Israelites are coming home from battle. Uh, The women come out and meet them singing, dancing, greeting them back from war. Not an uncommon thing. They have their musical instruments in their hand. They're playing. They're, woohoo, we did it. And they begin singing and they begin celebrating and they say, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, again, not uncommon. They, women would greet them. They'd celebrate their victory. And in this case, they're celebrating Saul and David. And this reminds me of another time victory was had for the people of Israel. And the women led in song. Um, this one's not going to come up on screen, so I hope you have your Bible on you. First Samuel 18. Keep your keep your thumb in First Samuel 18 and turn to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 uh, verse 20. No, that's wrong. Genesis 15. Exodus 15. Sorry, guys. Exodus. That didn't even go make much sense. Exodus 15. Second book of the Bible. Exodus 15, verse 20. This is just after they've come through the river. The Lord split the river for the people of Israel to pass through, and they come through on the other side. And look at Exodus 15, verse 20. 20 and 21. It says, Then Miriam the prophet prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, 
for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. Go back to 1 Samuel 18. Verse 7. The women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. What's the key difference between these two? The flesh gives credit to man. The flesh sees possessions and power and victory and credits all that to other flesh. This victory was not because of the achievements of man. This victory was because of the achievements of the living God of Israel and the flesh gives glory to the wrong thing. The flesh looks at David and goes, wow, look how great and, and mighty he is. And Rather than rightly giving credit to God, the flesh gives credit to man. The flesh gives glory to the tool in the maker's hand rather than the maker himself. You know, the flesh looks at the worship team this morning uh, and they go, wow, you guys are great. You guys do such a great job. The flesh looks at Matt and says, wow, you're such a good preacher. I just love what you've prepared for us today. I can tell you, friends, with the utmost confidence of speakers and worship leaders here at CTK, you want to give a great compliment to people? You tell them that Jesus Christ did great work through their speaking or their playing or their singing or their coffee serving or their Sunday school leading or their greeting at the door, or the cleaning of the church, because we know here at CTK that all glory and honor and credit goes to one and one only, the living God of Israel, Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Look at what happens to Saul. He's possessive. He takes David. He comes back home. He thinks he should be getting all the credit. So he begins to get angry. And that's the third thing that we see, the third characteristic of being in the flesh. The flesh gets angry. Look at chapter 18, verse 8. It says, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Friends, when you think that you're due the credit, and you think that your possessions are being threatened, the flesh begins to get angry. David's getting all the praise, and now Saul's starting to feel threatened. His stuff and his things, look at the end of verse 8, it says, and what more can he have but the kingdom? The flesh takes what it wants in an effort to shore itself up. The flesh takes, the flesh gets possessive of the things that it has. The flesh doesn't get the credit that it thinks it should get. Look at all these things that I have and the stuff that I've done rather than give credit to Jesus. You know, the Bible is very clear about a lot of things, but it's very clear about this, that the stuff and the things that you have are worthless in the sight of God. And all these things and stuff that you possess aren't actually yours to begin with anyways. For the earth and all that it contains is the Lord. But the flesh goes, no, it's mine. It's all mine. I'm going to take what I want and I'm going to get the credit and I'm going to have it all. And it starts to get threatened. The flesh gets angry. And then look at what happens in verse 10. Verse 10 and 11. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Look at how fast this spiraled, just down 
and out of control. Gibeah, which is where Saul reigned, um, is about 35 kilometers away from the Valley of Elah, which is where the David versus Goliath battle took place. So that's about 10 hours walking time. One, maybe two days for the army to get back home to Gibeah. And then what does it say at the beginning of 10 there? The next day, within two days, Saul went from his army having a victory to being angry about not getting the credit he thinks he's due, and now he's just in a rage. He's going to kill David. How quickly it spiraled down and out of control. And Saul is raving in his house from an evil spirit, and Saul sought to kill David. So he picks up his spear, and he throws it at David, but David dodges. Not once, but twice. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine playing the liar? Just sitting there playing the liar, beautiful noise, and like he has done before, before Saul, and, and maybe he looks up and whoosh, past one ear, goes a spear and it hits into the wall behind you. And so you think, oh, that's pretty wild. Okay, well, let's keep going. Hopefully, you know, this has worked before. Let's keep going. And then whoosh, from the other ear, goes another spear into the wall behind you, and David thinks that's it. That's it. I'm out of here. You know, he could have, he probably thought in the back, well, it's tough to say. If it was me, I would have thought in the back of my mind, I, you know, I could pick this spear back up and give it right back to you, probably in the same place I gave it to, to Goliath. But David goes, no, I'm out of here. I better get out of here. This is not good. And then look at what it says about Saul in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Saul was afraid which is the fourth thing that we see, the fourth characteristic of being in the flesh. The flesh becomes afraid. You know, friends, this is a, gives me goosebumps just reading that. This is a sad, sad sentence. You know, you could easily read through this and think, oh, okay, well, Saul's afraid. But this sentence right here, I feel like sums up like all of Saul's life. Saul was afraid of David. Why? What could he possibly be afraid of David about? He's a young boy who just defeated Goliath for Saul. He plays the liar for Saul to calm him down. Saul's brought him on his team and the people love him. But because Saul is just so obsessed with his possessions and his kingdom, his power and his pride, he can't see past the things he's holding on to and Saul becomes afraid. The Lord had departed from Saul. You know, at the beginning I talked about how it seems like Saul was set up for failure every time I read it, how it seems like he just had no chance. But you know, all Saul had to do was repent. That's all he had to do. He just had to repent and turn to the Lord. And maybe that's what you feel like today too. Maybe you have fear in your heart. Maybe you're worried about all this, the stuff you have. Maybe you feel like you aren't getting the credit for the things you're doing when really it's the Lord's doing. You know, it's a very, it's a very, very sad thing when someone thinks that they're too far gone for Jesus to help them. It's a sad, sad thing when someone becomes so obsessed with their stuff that they can't see what's really important. It's a sad thing when someone becomes so far removed from the love of Jesus Christ that they become afraid. Afraid of what? And so when I read this of Saul, that he became afraid of David, 
because the Lord had left him. It's a very humanizing moment, right? It's, it's very easy to look at Saul and say, you're a you dummy. What are you doing? Like the past four weeks, we've just seen some of the just dumb things that Saul has done. But at the end of the day here, you know, you think he might be getting what he's due. Saul's afraid because the Lord has departed from him. And that's a sad thing to think about. Someone having that fear, the fear because the Lord has left them. You know, I personally have never really had that fear. I I was raised in a Christian home, uh, but I've seen it in men's eyes as they near death. The fear, the fear that comes from what's going to happen to all my stuff and my things. But friends, I'm telling you in Christ, there is no fear. There is no fear in Christ. There's nothing that can take you out of his hand. And you might think that the Lord has left you, but I'm here telling you right now, he has not left you. You're never too far gone to come back to Christ. There's only one thing you need to do. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Look at verse 13. 13 to 16 says, So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So Saul eventually just says, get this guy out of here. Just get this guy David out of here. I can't even look at him anymore. I can't deal with him. And so David goes out. And what do you know? He has success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. But we'll see in a second here that Saul actually had other motives going on. Other motives going on than just to get David out of his presence. Look at uh, verse 17 to 19. Then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, for a wife. The fifth thing the flesh will do, the flesh will seek to destroy. Remember back in chapter 17, Saul said, "Any, Any man that kills Goliath for us, I'll give you riches and I'll... Have you, you can marry my daughter and, you know, all these, all these great things would happen for them. So, so it comes to fruition here and Saul says, here, have my daughter. Here's a great opportunity for me to take advantage of. He says, David, here, marry my daughter. You can become my son-in-law and all you have to do is fight the Philistines for me. No big deal. Secretly hoping and thinking that at some point during all these battles, David would be killed by the Philistines. But David responds in a humble manner. He goes, oh, no, no, no. Who am I? Who am I to be the sons, the king's son-in-law? I'm but a boy from a nobody family, and I'm the lowest of the family. I'm no way in fit to be the king's son-in-law. So Merab, Saul's daughter, gets married off to someone else. And, and now look at verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. 
Saul, the great dad that he is, sees his other daughter, Michael, loves David, and thinks, great, I'll use my other daughter as a snare for this guy. <laughs> and then the Philistines will surely get him. So he goes back to David and says, come on, buddy, marry Michael, she loves you, you'll be my son-in-law. And look at verse 22, uh, verse 22 to 27. This is a good long chunk of, of passage we'll read here. It says, and Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law? Since I am a poor man and I have no reputation. And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time it had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. So just almost like a, I can just imagine this being in a sitcom, kind of funny music going on over top of it, right? He sends, he sends his servants to David, go butter him up, tell him, I really like him, and the king wants you to marry his daughter. So the servants go off, and they tell David, and David's like, oh, I'm poor. So the servants go back, and they say, he's poor. And Saul says, don't worry, just bring me some foreskins. I, I don't know. So he, so, <laughs> I, listen, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do I say? <laughs> so the servants go back to Saul, and and uh, a ser- the servants go back to David, and and they, and they tell David, hey, yeah, no problem. Just bring him 100 foreskins of the Philistines and you're all good. And boy, did this ever please David because he thought, wow, I get to be the son-in-law of a guy who took me from my home, threw two spears at me, married off the girl who was supposed to be my wife, and now I only have to go get 100 foreskins? What a deal, right? I mean, sounds like a deal to me. Sounds like a... Great guy to want to be the son-in-law too. So David gathers up some of his men, hunts down some Philistines, and rather than just killing a hundred, he takes down two hundred of them. He brings them back, and bing, bang, boom, just like that. Similar price I paid for Jessica. David can now marry Michael, become the son-in-law of King Saul, and look at what this whole ordeal did to Saul. Verse twenty-eight to twenty-nine, when. Saul saw, but when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Saul was even more afraid of David. Saul, a picture of the flesh, and David, a picture of Christ for us. As the flesh sees more and more of Christ coming into your life, it gets more and more defensive. It gets more and more desperate to do anything it can to get away. The flesh and Christ cannot to get, live together in harmony. One of them has to go. And we'll see in the coming chapters how more and more desperate Saul gets to get rid of David. Living in the flesh is any action or achievement without dependence on the Holy Spirit 
and without glorifying Jesus Christ. The flesh takes, the spirit sacrifices. The flesh gives credit to man, the spirit gives credit to Jesus. The flesh becomes angry and throws spears. The spirit forgives and ministers to others. The flesh becomes afraid. The spirit trusts in Jesus. The flesh seeks to kill and the spirit seeks to uplift. Five qualities of living in the flesh we see here in chapter 18. And oh, how quickly these qualities can get out of hand. In Saul's case, from number one to number five, it took about two days from living a good life to seeking to kill someone. And the only way to stop that from happening is to constantly be coming back to Christ, to have the Lord at the center of your heart, to be obedient to him, to be daily reading your Bible and praying, to be in constant fellowship with other believers, and to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as often as you can. Listen to this, Romans 8, 5 to 8. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, this is, uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot live in the flesh and please God. If you set your mind on the flesh, it leads to death. But if you set your mind on the spirit of God, it leads to life and peace. And I just want to encourage you this morning with just one thing this week, super easy to do and remember. Give credit to Jesus. That's my challenge for you this week. In your dealings with your own flesh, in your dealings with the people that you meet, in your work, in your Netflix time before bed, in your walk the dog time, thank Jesus for what he's done for you because Jesus is the kingdom, it's the power, and it's the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Hey, as the worship team comes up to lead us in uh, one more song, I'm just going to close us in prayer. Father, we just... Uh, we just proclaim to you today, Lord, um, that we don't want to be living in the flesh, Father. We want more of you and less of me. We know that you are greater than I am, Lord. We want to give all credit to you, Father. Um, so just help us. Help me this week, Lord. Help me to give credit to you, God, whether it's in my work, uh, whether it's before I go to bed or when I wake up, Lord whether it's for that awesome salmon that I catch this week, Lord. Help me give credit to you, Jesus, because it's all for you, Lord. Uh, we seek to spread your kingdom, Father. We seek to have the flesh come down and you come up more, Jesus. We just thank you for this time together. And I pray that the rest of our week continues in remembrance of you. Amen.